uh, fall into line. If we can find out that he's a good father. He's a good father. That's who he is. Amen. And we're loved by him. That's who we are. Amen. And that's not based on performance. It's not based on church attendance. It's not based on how you treat your children. It's not based on how much money you have, on how many jobs you've lost, on how much time you spent in prison, on what you had pulled up on your computer last night. It's based on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It changed your identity whether you like it or not. Isn't that cool? That's good news for people like me. Amen? It's good news. Such good news. He's a good father. That's who he is. And you're loved by him. That's who you are. Right? I just, I got to get that in my spirit because how many of y'all have ever had some yucky stuff that wasn't that? Yeah? You know what I mean? How many of, how many of y'all, uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of us have honestly had the, had the idea before that God was not for us? That maybe he was actually a little bit uh, kind of after us and, and, and paying us back for all, right? We've had all that stuff before, right? And how many of us have ever thought we weren't worth a hill of beans? <laughs> you are, right? And it's so cool. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, I mean, when you were in your worst state, when you didn't have your Sunday clothes on. This is just the gospel. It's just good news. When you were in your worst state, he had already given everything for you and said, this is who you are. You're loved by me. Now, whether you're going to walk in it or not, I don't know, but that's who you are. Happy Father's Day. We got a good father, don't we? We got a good father. You know, it's really hard... uh, I was able to share a little bit with Remix uh, the other night, just a, just a few short minutes, but I could tell it, it, it just it hit a nerve immediately with these kids because I, I, I just told them, I said, you know, Father's Day is coming up, and this isn't an easy day for all of you guys. And all of a sudden, attitude change, energy sucked out of the room because probably more than half of the kids in the room immediately started thinking about how their father wasn't living up to what a father should live up to. So what do you do in that situation? What do you do? You just go to your heavenly father and find out what a real daddy looks like. Amen? So whether you had the worst or the best, I had the best personally. Had an awesome father sitting right here. No, I'm not joking. You're an awesome dad. I'm, I'm serious. He's an awesome dad. He was, he was always there. And see, sometimes some of us downplay our situations to make other people, we downplay our good situation to make other people feel better about their bad situation. But God has never called you to apologize for his blessing. Don't ever apologize for the goodness of God in your life. Now, you don't want to walk around bragging. You know, my dad was awesome and yours isn't. That's not what I'm saying. But you want to give God glory for the blessing of God in your life and not, listen, the Holy Spirit has not called us to make ourselves smaller so that other people can feel bigger, right? So I honor my dad today. Awesome dad. He was there every single day. He provided for our family every single day and he loved my mom every single minute. Good father. Good father. The good dad. Right? But he still screwed up a whole, whole lot. And I can, y'all hear all, it's tough being my dad, I promise you, because I throw him under the bus and my spiritual father under the bus just about every single time I preach. So why? Because life lessons, right? I don't have to screw up so much because they did. Awesome. So we've been talking about created for community. Created for community. And, and last week we talked about uh, 
living in Christian community, developing relationships that go deeper than high and by on Sunday mornings. We're not just called to go to church together, but we're called to do life together. But if we're going to do life together, then we're going to have to do it where it really happens. And how many of you know this is good and this is fun? This is like the pep rally, right? This is the pep rally. This is the hoorah. But this isn't where like real life really happens. Real life happens at our homes and on our jobs and students at school. That's where you live your real life, right? That's so, so if we're going to live in Christian community and we're going to have relationship with each other and do life together, then we're going to have to do life together where life is lived outside of these four walls. And the cool thing about this is created for community is we're not just preaching this, but in September, the very beginning of September, we're going to be providing a platform, a diving board for you to launch into community. They're, they're called small groups. It's something I don't want to give, get into it a whole lot. In a couple of weeks, we're going to sit down and we're going to blow your mind. Everybody go like this. Blow your mind. We're going to blow your mind with what God, the direction God is moving this church with small groups that we're going to start in the fall. So we'll explain all that. But there's going to be a platform for you to live out community. Amen. There's going to be a platform to you, for you to live in relationship with one another outside of the four walls. And it's going to be done where you live your real life. It's going to be done in your homes, on the job. Where it's going to be done all over the place, but it's going to be done where we're already living our real lives. We're going to get to see what it's like to truly live in community. Amen. Right? Yeah. Listen, Romans twelve thirteen says, share with God's people who are in need. And, and I love what it says next. It says, practice hospitality. There you go. Practice hospitality. So we don't just share. Hospitality means to entertain someone in your home. You're like, my house? I got dishes stacked up. Laundry everywhere. That's what we automatically start thinking. My house? Or you're sitting there thinking, my house? I got all this nice stuff. And you think I'm going to call Colby and let Gracie come in there because she's going to break about half of it. Real life. Stuff isn't fun unless it gets broke. You ain't using it enough if you don't break it every once in a while. Amen. Listen, it says share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So that's not just church. That hospitality where we entertain in our homes. I told this story a while back, but it's a good story and it and it makes a good point. Uh, my sister's not here today, but when I was real little, I was probably four or five years old. We lived in Dallas, and my parents were, I don't know what they were doing, church hopping, mad at one pastor, quit, went to the next church. I don't know what they were doing. But for some reason, (laughs) under the bus, hey, for some reason, for some reason, we visited the church, and then, you know, back in the day when you visited the church, the pastor would come visit you at your house, right? That's just what happened. That's just what happened. That's what we used to do. We used to go knock on people's doors and... You know, this is what you did. It's what, what used to happen. And so uh, th- this pastor comes and visits our house and we sit down and my parents, I remember my parents are talking to the pastor and, and having a good time. We have our Christian face on. I've already been given a lecture not to cuss, smoke or dip or chew or any of that stuff. And, and so, uh, I, I, right, we've all got our game face on. We got our Sunday clothes on. It's Tuesday. And so we're looking good for this pastor and uh, they're sitting in the living room having a conversation, and my sister walks in, and in each hand, she has a cold Bud Light. And she gives one to the pastor, and she gives one to my dad. And buddy, she's like seven years old. She is as proud as you can possibly be. I mean, just, just like... Hospitality. Hospitality, right? Just proud as you can possibly be. My parents were mortified. And I think the pastor cracked it open and took a sip. I, I don't know. But um, <laughs> pastor's like, score, man. Uh, <laughs> based on a true story. No, I don't know what happened. No, my parents, I'm sure they said, you know, you can go put those back in the refrigerator. Uh, and so, anyways, it happened. So the moral of the story is that hospitality 
used to be such a regular practice that even the kids knew how to do it. That's the moral of the story. Even the kids, I knew when somebody came over that I went to the refrigerator, that I offered somebody a drink, that we knew how to talk to people. I knew, listen to me, if I talked to you without looking you in the eye, my dad would beat me silly. With like appropriate spanking, I'm sure. He's a good dad. (laughs) A little therapy a few years later, we're good. Um, No, seriously, you had, you, you knew what hospitality was. Our society has changed even from when I was a kid. We've turned our homes into hideouts. We've quit talking and started texting. Conversations are no longer held around the table, but they're held on tablets. Real friendships have turned into virtual ones. Because of all this, I believe the church has suffered. Leticia is looking at me like a calf at a new gate. She's like, what? You mean you don't do it? No, I'm just kidding. I love you, Leticia. Social media has changed our friendships from relational to informational. You know, it ain't good to know too much about anybody. Right? Don't we all know too much about each other? (laughs) I know too much about Leroy, so we're just going to have to disagree on that. Listen, they've gone from relational to informational, from personal to virtual. And I don't want this to be a social media bash, but this is where the change took place, right? It's an incredible, awesome, amazing tool. But um, I, I think we need to realize that, that it's, it's, it's not real. It's not a real relationship. They were so smart to call it friends. But how many friends do you have? Right? Those virtual ones, it's not real. It's not real. It's informational. It's not relational. Facebook is what I like to call friendship porn. That's good. Y'all didn't even know you were ready. Y'all, 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 y'all thinking, I'm, my God, I'm going back to the Lutheran church. I can't handle this. <laughs> Listen, what are you talking about? You say, I can't believe you talk like that. No, it's just true. Yeah. Friendship porn. It's getting to have the most benefits out of having a real friendship without actually having a real friendship. It falsely fulfills our God-given desire for relationships, but at the end of the day, it's not the same thing. And it's always airbrushed. When's the last time you, and don't don't tell me I do it all the time, when's the last time you posted a picture without a filter? Never did. Leroy... (laughs) I'm going to tell Howard. Howard got Juno on there every single time. Ludwig. What are the other ones? I, y'all ain't even with me this morning. Pastors never used a filter. But it's all airbrush. It's not real. We post our best picture. We take 47,000 selfies and pick the best one. Right? Pick the best one. And then... We look at it and we, 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 it gives us this false feeling that we have some kind of relationship with that person. But it's not the way. It's not bad. I'm not telling you. It's, don't, don't go home and be like, oh, I'm going to a different church where I can get on social media. That's not what I'm saying. God bless it. We use it. We, we use it all the time. But it's awesome. We have to realize what it is and we have to realize what the real thing is. Because it's important to have the real thing. The world may be... To, uh, the world may be informational, but Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that he established the church by being relational. He established this thing by being relational. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many of y'all would like to see people getting saved every day? Isn't that the point? 
I mean, God was adding to their number. People were getting born again. Lives were being changed every single day. What was the formula? Go to church and meet in each other's homes. That's what they did. They met at the house of God and they met outside the house of God. They came and broke bread together in the house of God and they went to each other's homes and had relationship where they lived their real lives. And guess what the result was? The church was added to daily. We are starving for relationships. God created this huge, giant hole on the inside of every single one of us, and it is, it is tailor-made for godly relationships. We have a huge need for this. And so what did he do? He created the body of Christ. Christ, he created a platform for us to get that need met. And when we're not getting it, that need met in the right place, it's being fulfilled falsely somewhere else. And that's where we get into trouble. Amen? They went to church and fellowshiped in each other's homes, and the church grew every day. I'm, I'm so pumped up about these small groups, but I don't want to talk about them too much because we're going to do that in a few weeks, but I'm telling you, fitting to blow up, y'all. Fixing to blow up. I've talked to a lot of pastors, and you, you have conversations, and anytime you talk to a pastor, you know, the, the conversation is going to turn to, well, uh, you know, how's it going? You know, how, how are your people doing? Well, you know, it, you know I, I was on the phone with a pastor not that long ago. He said, we had five families leave the church. That's a significant amount of people to leave the church. That hurts. That hurts. Five families leave the church. They said, man, it, it seems like as soon as they're coming in the front door, they slide out the back door. So you talk to these, all about this, the, the, the back door of the church. We're trying to figure out how to secure the back door. Maybe we can put chains on it and, 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 and lock it up and, and bolt it shut and maybe people will stay in church. But I don't think it's the problem. I don't think the problem with the church is, is, is the back door. I think if we spend as much time figuring out how to seal up <clears throat> the front door, what to do with the front door, then maybe we wouldn't have to wor- worry so much about the back door. The front door of the church is not the one on the front of this building. It's the one on the front of your home. The front door of the church is not the one on the front of this building. Because see, if that's the front door of the church, then we're playing it way too safe. Playing it way too safe. Because if that is the front door to the body of Christ then that means we can all dress up and we can all put on our church face and we can all come meet together and the front door of this building can look completely different than the front door of our homes. If this is the only place that believers are meeting, then what's going to keep us accountable from having Jesus here and also having Jesus in our real life? This is supposed to be lived out where we're actually living. This is awesome. This is a pep rally. I, don't, I'm, I am not preaching don't come to church. So don't not come to church and say, well, I'm just living it at my house. I came through the front door today. I went through the front door of my house. <laughs> went to church. No. This is so important. Corporate community is so important. But we have to make sure that we're being held accountable in our personal lives as well. And we're fellowshipping and giving God glory in everything that we're doing in every area of our life. And how do we do that? By living in community everywhere we are. The front door of the church is the one on your home. So that being said, if that's really true, how's the church doing? Dang it. Take a drink. Everybody mad at me now. How's the church doing? Let me ask them, when's the last time your church doors worked no what it's so quiet (laughs) listen to the recording all we hear is the air conditioner (laughs) and and and, and, and listen he's called us to live this life out in relationships in true relationships can't be built in an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. Just can't. 
Amen? We read about the disciples in the book of Acts, and really it's miraculous, right? They went to church together. They broke bread together. It was awesome. They were making decisions together. They were getting along. But if you rewind in their lives to just a few weeks earlier, just a few months earlier, you, you see them not even being able to, 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 to stand to even be around each other. If you re- rewind from Acts chapter 2 and, and take it back a couple of months, these guys were not living in Christian community. There were things that were keeping them from living together and, 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 and existing together and, and giving God glory together. And so this morning, we're going to look at a few of those things. We're going to look at them real quick. And, and, and I want to talk about three spirits. And I know that's all spiritual. Three spirits, but I just wanted to be spiritual today. That keep us out of community. If you have these spirits operating in your life, you cannot exist in community. You say, how do I know? Because the disciples had all three of the ones I'm fixing to talk about, and they could not exist in community. I mean, the fact that Jesus put these guys in a room together was, was just insane. The fact that he put these 11 guys, Judas had hung himself, he, t- he told these 11 guys, hey, go to an upper room, wait for the promise. It's going to come. Y'all just go hang out and wait for it. It was a disaster waiting to happen. The clock was ticking before these guys were going to absolutely destroy each other. So we're going to look at these three things that were operating in the disciples, and we're going to look at the one thing, the one spirit that made it all possible. The first spirit, three things that keep disciples out of community. The first thing, the thing that's going to keep us from wanting to branch out into each other's lives and diving in deeper than just high and by, the first thing that's going to keep you out of community every single time is a critical spirit. Disciples had it bad. Anybody ever had a critical spirit? Don't raise your hand. And, 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 and as I'm preaching these, I don't want you to think that uh, I've conquered all of these things because each one of these ministered to me personally. God dealt with me personally on each one of these things. But a critical spirit will keep you out of community every single time. Every single time. Listen, Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany... In the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were very indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price in the money given to the poor. So immediately, as this woman came and poured this expensive perfume on Jesus critical spirit took place. I mean, it just jumped all over them. And they were like, who does she think she is? Sound like church talk to me. Who does she think she is pouring that on Jesus? I mean, we could have totally sold that and given money to the poor. They were critical of what she was doing. They were crit- a critical spirit is an obsessive attitude of criticism and finding fault. Has there been somebody in your life you couldn't find anything but negative things about them? Yeah. I should have preached something else, Rachel. <laughs> it started out good, like he's a good father and I'm loved by him. <laughs> Don't talk about my critical spirit. But the disciples had, they had a critic, all of them, they were indignant. Come on, when somebody walks through the door, we, we get in, I cannot believe they dress like that. Can't live in community with a critical spirit. My God, we can't even handle it at the church house. Could you imagine if you actually went to their house? Help us, Jesus, you'd kill them. Critical spirit will keep you from from wanting to have fellowship or relationship with anybody because you can't handle it. Because they might do something that's different from what you do. 
An obsessive attitude of criticism and finding fault which seeks to tear others down rather than build up. Tell my girls every single day, you have an opportunity to bring a positive, make a positive impact, any positive eternal impact in somebody's life just with your smile, with your words, with whatever you do. You have a chance to impact somebody in a positive way. Every single one of us, every single day, with every single encounter, that encounter either left a negative impression or a positive impression. We're believers. We have the Holy Ghost. My God, we ought to light people on fire everywhere we go. Like, fire for the Lord, not burn them down. (laughs) I say, that's what a critical spirit does. You're like, I light them on fire with my tongue. Have you ever noticed that we tend to judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions? We are so much easier on ourselves. We'll know that we have good intentions. We'll be be doing the same thing as somebody else, maybe just a little bit different, but really it's just the same thing. But we'll know our heart's right, and we'll judge them by their actions, but we'll judge ourselves by our intentions. Critical spirit. Every single time. The truth is we can't rightly judge anyone else because we don't have a heart x-ray machine. We can't look into their heart and see what's really going on. If you, all of Romans chapter 14 is a great chapter to read. If you have a critical spirit, listen to me, obsessively finding fault. Some of y'all obsessively find fault with me. It's okay. I'm probably number one, right? It's cool. And then there's somebody else sitting across the church here. I can't sit next to them because I just can't even look at them without finding something I don't like about them critical spirit. It's going to keep us out of community. But Romans 14 has so much to say about it. But I'll read these two verses out of the Message Bible. It says, that's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us, listen, from the petty tyrannies of each other. Jesus lived and died to free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Y'all, if we cannot exist in community as a family, as the body of Christ, you wonder why people aren't getting saved every single day. It's because they're looking going, man, that family looks a lot like my family. Crazy as heck. Listen, petty tyrannies of each other, verse 10. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or even, or worse. Eventually, we're going to all end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. See, but when, we, when we're critical and we're condescending, we feel like it improves our position here. We'll say, at least I don't do what they do. At least I don't act like they act. At least I don't dress like they dress. At least I don't go where... They go. And that may work here, but it's not going to work when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Our flesh is not just opposed to God, but it wants to be God, guys. It, it, It wants to be God. And when we place ourselves in the judgment seat, we are playing God in somebody else's life. Help me, Jesus, because I've done it. You know, I don't think that they should really blank. Oh, I'm fixing to get ahead of myself. We're playing God in somebody else's life. When we do this, we all become a bunch of Holy Ghost police, right? Holy Ghost cops running all over the place. The problem is, is, is the Holy Ghost. He is the sheriff in the church. But he is the only sheriff that needs no deputies. He does this all by himself. He can bring conviction and change into somebody's life through, through, through his, his conviction in that person than we can in our criticism of that person. So when when we become the judge, and I could preach here forever, when we become the judge, we're we're not just criticizing somebody, we're not just being critical of them, we are literally, our flesh has taken over and we are literally playing God in the church. 
What we're saying is, is if I wasn't running everything, would everything actually be okay? Hmm. I don't know. Why don't we find out? Wouldn't it be awesome? But a critical spirit every single time. Can you imagine if you have a critical spirit and you go over to somebody's home to fellowship? Everything that's different is going to be something that you can't quite get over. And so whenever we can't get over the differences of each other's lives, the diversity that is supposed to be in the church, then we can't fellowship one with another. Right? You ever gone to somebody's house and you thought, hmm, this is different. (laughs) This definitely is not the way we do it at our house. But, Holy Spirit. See, this isn't a challenge for some of y'all, I can tell. But if it wasn't, then we, I think we'd spend a whole lot more time together. Yeah. Right? That's true. I've had people come to my house. I'll just be honest with you. I've had people come to my house before, and I've seen them take one look around, and they've decided not to enjoy themselves because I have a nice home. Because it's different than your house. And I've had people that wouldn't invite me to their house because in their mind, I'm just being real right now. Can I just be real? Yeah, because in their mind, they don't want somebody to come over because they're afraid their house might not be nice enough. Come on. Yeah. I thought we were the church. Yeah. But this critical thing gets all over us and it causes us not to be able to exist in community. You say, well, I don't think he should have a big old house like that. Well, man, don't you think the Holy Spirit could do an awesome job in communicating that to me? He said, I'm not going to invite anybody over because they're going to think bad about my house. Well, my God, if they think bad about your house, then have them over again. Come on, give them some time for the Holy Ghost to speak to them. Help me, Jesus. I'm so, they need to be at your, they need some deliverance. Right? Gives a rip about any of that stuff. Let's exist in community. Come on, let's have godly relationships. Critical spirit, and I could preach about all these forever, but I'm going to move on. The next one is a, it's so hard to exist in, in, in community. And it was hard for the, the disciples too, because the, the next spirit is a controlling spirit. It is so hard to get around and exist and and, and be in relationship with other people if we are a control freak. Where are my control freaks at? (laughs) Right? It's just a manifestation of our flesh. It's just another manifestation of, 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 of trying to be in control. And I could Dr. Phil you and tell you about all the where it all come from and how it all happened. And, and when you were young, you didn't have any control. And so when you're older now, you want control. But well, uh, listen, the, I, I don't want to do that because I want the Holy Ghost to speak to you. I want him to speak to you. Y'all, when, it, it is so amazing sometimes. God will show me something about myself and I'll be like, are you kidding me? Thank you, God, for showing me that I want to change. I don't want to be that way anymore. Next thought that comes into my mind is, God's been there ever since I got saved. And he loved me. And he let me, let me minister for him and let me preach. And I'm thinking, my God, that thing's been there the whole time. And he loves me. He loved me the whole time. And at the right time, when I was ready for it, when I could handle it, he spoke to me and it changed. Oh, he's a good God. And in that controlling spirit makes us feel like we have to make, it's like a chess game. I've got to make sure I got my pawn over here, my queen over here, my king over Why? Because they might make this move, then I can make this move. But sweet Jesus, isn't that exhausting? I'm tired just talking about it. This is what this, this, the disciples were obsessed with control. This is what it says. Mark 10, 37, they replied, Lord, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other one at your left hand. What were they saying? We want to be in places of authority. 
We want to sit in a place of authority. And how, and how do I know that, that they wanted control? Because later on in, in, the, in the story, Jesus said, you asked that silly question just so you can try to control everything. He said, but if you really want to have authority, then become a servant. Good Lord, help me. They wanted to be in a place of authority so they could have control. How well do you function in situations where you don't have control? Not very well. Just to be honest with you. I mean, like this thing gets all up. I want to control everything. And I ain't talking about my wife right now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's pray for <clears throat> If we always have to be controlling everything, then it's going to be really hard to get around other people. It's going to be hard to do this thing called life with everybody else. It'll be tough. Are y'all having fun this morning? This is a good sermon. I like this sermon. It's good. This is good. The thing about living in community is we have to be okay with not controlling everything. I'm preaching myself right now, guys. If I go to a small group at someone else's house, it might not be done exactly like I would do it, and that's okay. I can run everything. Serious. I can run it all. But it's just, after a while, you're just like, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't fun anymore. I don't want to come to your house and tell you how to run your life. Let's make a deal. You do yours the way God tells you, and I'll do the way my, God, God tells me, and then we can just, like, live in harmony with one another. <laughs> right? You say, so, so when, when is it okay to speak into somebody else's life and uh, and because uh, I struggle with that sometimes because I'll see people doing stuff, and I'll be like, you know, maybe I should go over there and talk to them, and Rachel would say, well, you know, they really didn't ask you. And I'd be like, well, I really didn't ask you. <laughs> right? I didn't want to look at her right now. <laughs> She's always right, y'all. It makes me sick. She's always right. And so, so, so I'll be like, you know, I think I'm going to go tell them that, that I see this big fault in their lives. And she'll say, but they didn't ask. And so I was praying about it. I was like, God, when do... We, we cross that line to, to step into somebody's life and speak into their life. When, when, when do, because sometimes God does call us to step across. With, he, said, he said, Colby, you do it when it's detrimental, not just when it's different. If the house is on fire, you go in the house and you tell them your house is on fire. But if it's just painted a different color, Right? Yeah, that's good. But if you live in my world, I'm like light tan. Just like Encarnacion. Light tan. Everything should be light tan. Right? Light tan. Come by I live in a house that's my kids call it blurple. It's kind of blue, kind of purple. I'm gonna paint it light tan one day. But let me tell you, you might have a pink house. That's cool. I ain't gonna talk to you about it. I'm just gonna go enjoy myself at your pink house. Right now, if the house is on fire, I'm going to tell you, hey, man, somebody's something's fixing to go down. Somebody's going to get hurt. When it's detrimental, not just when it's different. Controlling spirit. Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that being in charge isn't the goal of our faith, but serving one another. Serving one another. Authority is not given in the kingdom to control, but to serve. So, so, so the more of, in the world, see, this is one of the paradoxes of the kingdom of God. In the world, the more authority you have, the more control you have. In the kingdom, the more authority you have, the less control you have because you've given him control. Wow. Number three, I want us to be able to exist in communities so bad. And I know if these three spirits are operating in this church, it's going to make what we're trying to accomplish a lot harder. The last one is 
a competing spirit. A competing spirit. Now, this is tough coming from a church that's run by a coach. Because <laughs> there ain't no competition like the real competition. And the real competition is LMS. Middle school, that's the last time we sang it. Listen to what the Bible says. A competitive spirit. There is no place, this is going to blow your mind, for competition in the kingdom. There is, you read the Bible and God's people never compete with one another. Competition has no place in the kingdom. Now, I ain't talking about on the volleyball court at the 4th of July party or when I'm doing a three-legged race. I'm going out there to win. And I will win. Won't be surprised if you don't even show up because I'm going to smoke somebody. Listen to what the disciples did, a competing spirit. Luke 9, 46, an argument started among the disciples to which, uh, as to which of them would be the greatest. These guys were in major competition with one another. Like, you know what? I'm going to be greater than you. Hey, who do you think is going to be greatest? And you know who won the argument? Peter. Biggest doofus of the bunch. Peter. Peter. I'm going to be the greatest. John, you just shut your mouth. I'm the greatest. But John outran him to the, to the grave. Y'all remember? Sucker got sucked up. John was like Kendall, quick. Competition has no place in community. You say, yes, it does. I know there's that verse in there that says that we're supposed to run our race to win. You're right. It says it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize. So run in such a way to get the prize. So I used to think that that meant that I was supposed to run harder and better and faster after Jesus than anybody in there because I was going to win first place in the church. I was going to pray more than you. I was going to read my Bible more than you. I was going to go to church more than you. And sweet Jesus, when we got to heaven, my trophy was going to be bigger than your trophy. Best Christian award right here. But do you know what Paul's actually talking about right there? He goes on to say, that he keeps his body in check because he doesn't want to get his body. He's talking about his flesh. The competition that we're in is not against each other. It's, there is a competition. There is a war raging, and it's called your flesh. The only thing you're competing against, and you really don't have to because it's already been won, but, but it's, 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 it's the remnants of that old life, of that old man that keeps on trying to sneak up, and you're like, no, fool, I'm done with you. I can run. That's, we're supposed to run so that we win against our flesh. Not, I don't have to run so that I win against Howard. It wouldn't happen. Yes, it would. <laughs> Three-legged race. Me and Rachel, verse y'all too. Hey, it's going down. Don't say no. We're doing it this year. Hey, listen, we're not in competition with one another. And if we are, if, 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 we, if we are in competition with one another, then we're not going to be able to, listen, that's why we can't go to each other's houses because we're competing. That's, that's, why, that's why we look on Facebook and we decide that we're not going to hang out with somebody because we say things in their life that we wish we had in our life and we've been Christians longer than they have so that should have already happened for us. You know I'm preaching good. And we're in this, we're in this competition. But we're not competing with one another. The God, God's never called us compete to compete with one another. Ephesians 4.16 says... For the whole body, joined, to, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, King James says, fitly joined together, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God talks about the body of Christ. He compares it to a physical human body. Right? He compares it to a physical human body. Listen, this isn't about finding first place. This is about finding your place in the body. 
Because see, we're, we're in, because we have this competitive spirit, some of us are like, God has fit us into the body and made us a toe. Because we're not an ear, we look up at the ear and we're jealous of the ear and we're like, I would be a better ear than a toe. But God has made you a toe. But the toe is not in competition with the ear. My toe never competes against my ear. You smash my ear and my toe, I mean, you, you smash my toe and my ear isn't like, ah. No, my ear, my whole body is like, ah. Right? And when I get a pedicure, my ear isn't like, well, how come they ain't rubbing my ear? No, my whole body is like, ah. Right? Y'all don't get pedicures? Y'all ought to see the way them ladies look at my feet. They start talking. Hey, seriously. No. Why? Because my ear fits where my ear fits and my toe fits where my toe fits. They're not in competition one with another. That would be crazy. That would put my own body, turn it against itself. Then I couldn't survive if my body was operating against itself. Are y'all with me? Romans 12, 15 says rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. But when we have a competitive spirit, nobody will admit this. You don't have to. I don't want you to. But when we have a competitive spirit, we get this scripture backwards. We're happy when people fail and sad when they succeed. And then, Howard, we wonder why we, we ain't got no friends. My toe's happy. When my ear feels good, and my ear's happy, when my toes feel good, when my toe hurts, my ear hurts, and when my ear hurts, my toe hurts. Why? Because it's all a part of the same body. (laughs) But that sick, competitive spirit comes on us, and when something... Listen, we've been so jealous of that person for so long, and whenever something actually happens to them that's not good, we're like, (laughs) I knew it. So the body has turned against itself. That's right. That's right. And it creates a sickness. But I want to tell you, when you're free, when you don't have that competing spirit, and you're believing God for a financial breakthrough, and then somebody else who already has more money than you think they should have gets another financial breakthrough, and you don't go... I sure could have used that more than they could have. But you go, praise Jesus. Praise God. Hey, I am so happy for you. You don't have to lie about it either when you you don't have a competing spirit. You don't even have to lie about it, but you are genuinely rejoice. Why? The toe feels good, so you're like, I feel good. This isn't about trying first place. This is about finding your place, Right? This isn't about winning. This is about fitting into the body of Christ. Every single one of us now, when we rejoice, we rejoice. And when we weep, we weep. When somebody gets a blessing, we're not jealous of it, but we are rejoicing with them. I've preached about this house for over a year now, but that house still ain't sold. And I'm just like looking at that house. And you know what? I'll see other houses sell and I'll go, God, Sure wish my house was sold and not their house. And I got convicted about it. So now I drive by houses and I'm like, Father, I thank you that you're sending the right buyer to those people at the right time. God, they need that house sold. I'm just saying, I don't care if my house sells or not. Lord, I want that house to sell for that person because I know what it's like when a house doesn't sell. So this critical spirit, controlling spirit, Competing spirit will keep us out of community every single time. Amen? So Jesus told these critical, controlling, and competing men to all go sit in a small room together and wait for 10 days. Time bomb. How could they exist together? The answer for a critical spirit, a competing spirit, and a controlling spirit 
is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The answer for a critical spirit, a controlling spirit, and a competing spirit is the Holy Spirit. These guys got baptized with the Holy Ghost and, and like they worked together like a, like, like, a, like a perfect unit. You notice they got baptized with the Holy Spirit and Peter steps up to preach on day one and nobody says, no, I'm preaching. They weren't in competition anymore. But they were like, you know what, Peter? You're the mouthpiece because that's where you fit but I'll take up the slack over here because this is where I fit. And then I'm going to do this over here because this is where I fit. Hey, I've got administrative skills. I'm going to fit right here. This is where I fit. And they gelled together so good that they were able to fellowship with each other in each other's homes. That's Holy Ghost revival. Holy Ghost revival is when the body of Christ is not imploding on itself, but it is existing in community with itself. And I'm telling you, whenever that happens, people are going to see something that looks so foreign and they're going to say, I want that. I want that kind of community. I want that kind of community. So my prayer today is, Holy Spirit, show me what areas of my flesh are keeping me from living in community with my fellow believers. Holy Spirit, show me what areas of my flesh are keeping me from living in community with my fellow believers. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. God is so good. (sighs) Hallelujah. It's community. Right? And I know it's hard sometimes to... to, uh, create moments and times to be able to have people over and do different stuff. So I'm telling you, get ready because there is fixing, we are fixing to build a diving board that every single one of us can launch into community on through small groups. It's going to be so powerful, so much fun. I cannot wait to give you the details. God is so good. I want to know before we leave every single time we meet, the Bible says in the book of Acts that God added to their numbers every single day. That meant that people were getting saved Every single day. And so I would hate to leave this place today and not give you an opportunity to know that you know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life. It's the most important thing that we do. Making Jesus Lord of our lives. Because when we do, it unleashes his spirit to do things in our lives that we never dreamed possible. Never dreamed possible. So I want to know, is there anybody in here today? If you died today, you say, I've never met Jesus. Coming to church doesn't make you good enough. Being a good person doesn't make you good enough. None of those things measure up to God's standard. Only one thing has ever measured up to God's standard, and that's Jesus. So we come to Jesus, and we say, we haven't been good enough. We haven't done good enough. We have sinned against a holy God. And he offers forgiveness. We receive that forgiveness, and God becomes our good, good father.